years. And we've seen it a couple of times, and if you begin to see it, it's going to pop out to you as you read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But Jesus will be talking, like a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 5, we saw Jesus said, hey, look, you come here to worship, and you come and you bring your tithes and offerings, and that's great. I'm glad you're doing that, Jesus says. And there you remember your brother has something against you. And Jesus says, that's great that you're coming to church, you're coming to worship, you're giving, you're tithing, you're making uh, gifts at the altar. But first, go be reconciled to your brother, then come back and come to worship, then come back and make offerings to God. Last week in Matthew chapter 6, we saw Jesus do that same thing again. He was talking about anxiety and worry. And he says, you're worried about having the things that you need. You're worried about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Uh, you're worried about uh, those kinds of things, just the daily needs of life. And he says, look, your heavenly Father knows you need those things. You don't have to worry about them. He says, but first... Seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all those things will be added to you as well. You can go back and listen to that sermon last week. Well, this week, as we get to Matthew chapter 7 is where we are, Jesus sets priorities for us again. And Jesus talks about something that is very important to us here at Redeemer Church. He talks about how we live with one another in community. And specifically, Jesus talks today about how we handle it when we see sins or shortcomings in one another as we do life together in community as followers of Jesus. He talks about how we correct one another. And Jesus, we're going to hear him say in Matthew 7, I'm going to read the first five verses, but we'll hear him say, listen, it's great that you want to help one another. It's great that you want to point out sins, that you want to help people overcome their shortcomings. But first, you need to have an awareness of your own sin and be dealing with your own sin before you try to help others with their sin. Listen for Jesus to say that in kind of a different way. As he speaks to us in Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read the first five verses and then pray for us and we'll dig in and look at this together. Matthew chapter 7, hear now the words of Jesus from verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving these words for us, lo, these two millennia later. And I pray that you would speak to us this morning and you would teach us how to do life in community with one another. Please be willing to come and do that even now, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you read the scripture, Jesus has this glorious vision. 
for what he says a community of his followers can be. The scripture contemplates different kinds of people, different races, people from different places, different socioeconomic groups, rich people, poor people, people with different strengths and gifts and abilities all coming together as one community, a community that's even willing to share their stuff with one another. It is a glorious vision. But Jesus is so real. The scripture is so practical because Jesus not only foresees a community with all these different strengths coming together, but Jesus teaches us about a community of people with different weaknesses coming together. People with various shortcomings, people with different sins, all coming together into one group. And Jesus teaches us how we can live together in Christian community with all the strengths and with all the weaknesses. I was listening to a podcast recently and was talking about the church growth movement and how it was easy when people moved to a place to just get connected to a church because you had immediate connection and you met different people in the community that did different things and you have all these connections. And that's a great thing. There are people here at our church that have boats. I feel like I have a boat because I'm in church with them and sometimes they'll let me go out with them on their boat. It's great that they share their boat. There are people here who have pools who will let you come swim in their pool just because you go to church with them. I think that's awesome that they're willing to share their pool with you. There are people here that have lake houses and they're willing to share that. And that is great and it's wonderful. And sometimes we focus on all those things that people are willing to share. Let me be honest with you. There are also people here who have a temper. And they will share that with you as well. There are those of us who struggle with drugs or with alcohol or with lust or with credit card debt. We struggle with insecurity or anxiety or depression. And if you come here and we begin to be in community with one another, if we get really close to each other and we're intimate with one another, the way Jesus calls his church to be, then we're going to share those things with one another as well. How do you do church? How do you do community with different kinds of people that are so different, that are so broken and messed up? How does that happen? What hope is there for us to do life together? Well, Jesus mentions three things. There are a lot of things in the scripture. I just want to look at these three that help us live life in community with people with glorious strengths but also ghastly weaknesses that we all bring to this community as we come. Number one, the first thing Jesus says is that if we're going to live in a community like that, then we must be gracious and merciful and patient as we help one another. The first thing he says is we must be merciful and patient and gracious as we help one another with our faults. Look at verses 1 and 2. Jesus says there, judge not that you be not judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And you may look at that and say, I don't hear Jesus saying be patient and merciful with one another. I hear him say, don't judge. 
And there was a time in our culture when this was probably the most quoted passage of Scripture. Jesus says, don't judge. And what people typically mean when they quote Matthew 7 and verse 1, that Jesus said, don't judge, what they usually mean is, they usually mean this. Look, I can do anything I want to do. I can say anything I want to say. I can feel anything that I want to feel. And you can't criticize me for it. Because Jesus said not to judge, right? That's the way people typically have used this verse. Now, is that really what Jesus is saying here? Let's take a closer look. And as we dive in, I submit to you that Jesus is not saying that the way we live in community with broken people is just to turn a blind eye to one another's faults. That is not what he's saying here. How do we know? How do we know he's not just saying turn a blind eye? Well, look, right before this, the verses right before it, in verse 32, we looked at last week. He said, don't be like the pagans or the Gentiles because they're seeking after the things of this world, but be this way. So he's calling us to discernment. Be like this, not like this. In this very text, if you look at verse 5, he says, First, take the log out of your eye, then you can see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is calling us to help one another with our shortcomings and our sins. He's not saying to ignore them, right? He is calling us to deal with them. And even after this, if you keep reading in the chapter, when you get down to verse 15 and 16, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is saying, look at people, listen to what they say, look at their outward actions, and be discerning. That we are supposed to judge what is right and what is wrong, and we take the speck out of our brother's eye because we are supposed to help one another with our sins and our shortcomings. So clearly Jesus is not saying that the way we live in community with people who are broken is just to turn a blind eye to our sins and our weaknesses. That is not what he's saying. Well, what is he saying then? Let's look. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Listen to verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, give other people the kind of help you would want to receive in your weakness, in your sin. And so for most of us, that means, in my sin, I want you to be gracious and merciful and patient with me in my weakness. Maybe you've seen this in your own heart. Maybe you've seen it in your own home. It's a lot easier sometimes to see with kids because they'll just say what adults are usually afraid to say. But maybe you've noticed this. Think about it. When someone does something wrong, how do they want to be treated? Oh, be merciful. Be gracious. When I've done something wrong, I want you to be patient with me. I want you to be gentle. I want you to be long-suffering. I want you to be understanding. There were mitigating circumstances. The home that I grew up in, the temperament that God gave me. When we do something wrong, we want grace and mercy and patience and understanding. But what about in your kids when one of their siblings does something wrong to them? When they've been wronged, when we've been wronged, what do we want? We want justice. 
and the swifter the better, right? Justice delayed is justice denied. We want our pound of flesh. We, want, we just want what's right. We just want somebody to be fair. That's what Jesus is getting out here. He said, when you do something wrong, you want somebody to be patient and loving and understanding and gentle and long-suffering with you. And if that's what you want somebody to extend to you in your weakness and in your sin, then that's the way you should be with them in their weakness and in their sin. And that's the way we live in community with one another when we all bring all this brokenness into the community with us. Jesus is just saying, use the same standard on others that you want used on you when you do something wrong. That is not turning a blind eye to sin and weaknesses and shortcomings, right? Jesus is saying, yes, something must be done. You should remove the speck from your brother's eye. But what Jesus is getting at is, how are we going to approach doing something? Well, approach them the way you would want somebody to deal with you when you do something wrong. For me, if you're just curious what I prefer, I prefer that you come to me directly and not go to like Keith and Elizabeth Thompson to complain about what I did wrong, but you would come to me first, right? Just come to me directly. I would prefer the correction privately not up here in front of everybody on Sunday morning if we could maybe meet in my office or sometime later and those are things that Jesus says later in Matthew 18 beginning in verse 15 right he says if a brother sins against you go him and show him his fault just between the two of you right so way Jesus says to handle sin and weaknesses and shortcomings directly privately graciously not in anger, but in love. Condemning the sin, but loving the person. I want to emphasize again, patiently, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Sometimes that's hard when we see someone else is clearly doing something wrong because we want it fixed now. I heard a story one time about a session that became convicted about what their church was doing on the Sabbath day. They just felt like the church should have a higher view of the Sabbath. And so they started reading and researching and they took weeks and they read books together and they wrote papers and they argued and went back and forth with one another. And after a couple of months, they came to the conclusion that nobody needed to do anything on the Sabbath except rest and worship. Don't go out to eat lunch. You don't need to be playing with your kids. All of you that have your kids in competitive sports and all these travel ball things, that all needs to stop today. And listen, my point about this is not whether you think that's the right or wrong view of the Sabbath. My point is how do you handle that session you took two months to research and study to come to this conclusion. <laughs> but you want the congregation to comply with your conclusion today, immediately. Will you give someone else the same amount of time to research and study and pray about and come to a conclusion as it took you to come to the conclusion? 
or do you expect them to arrive right now? Because that's where you are now. Boy, this is tough. Even when you're right, we've got to be patient and loving, bearing with one another in love, not turning a blind eye to sin, not ignoring what's wrong, but being patient with one another. We've all sinned. We all deserve judgment. We have all received grace and mercy from God. God is so patient and long-suffering with us in our sin. He doesn't overwhelm us with all of our sin at one time. Have you ever noticed that? God will show us something and we work on that and we're starting to get better. And then God will show us something else. And I think, I've done this my whole life. I've been like this as long as I can remember. And now I'm convicted by it. God doesn't overwhelm us with our sin. He's patient and long-suffering. And that grace and mercy that we've received from God, that patience and endurance God has had with us that we ourselves have received from God, we must extend that to one another in this community. So that's the first thing Jesus says. He says, be gracious and merciful and patient as we help one another. Number two, the second thing Jesus says is, as you view the sin and shortcomings of others, remember all the sin that is in you is much greater than this particular sin in them. I wish I could say that shorter, but I just can't. I, wished, I wanted all these points to be shorter and like more pithy, you know, and all begin with the same letter. But, you know, life in a community with broken, messed up people is just not that clean and tidy. So I'll say it again. The second thing, Jesus says, as you view the sin and shortcomings of others, remember that all the sin in you is much greater than this particular sin in them. I hear him saying that in verse 3. Do you, you see what he says there? He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Jesus, as you know, grew up with a father, Joseph, who was a carpenter. Remember the people said, isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? So as he played around the carpentry shop, perhaps he got sawdust in his eye. And it's uncomfortable when that happens, right? And you know something's not right. There's something in my eye that's not right, and you want it out. And someone helps you, and they help take that out. But then Jesus takes that illustration and then he uses hyperbole. He uses exaggeration to make a point. And he says, how do you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you've got an entire log in your eye? Like, of course that couldn't happen. I don't think that could actually take place. But Jesus is making a point, right? And he's showing us how we do life together. He's saying, remember that all the sin in you, a bunch of specks all put together, a whole log of sawdust is in your eye. When you deal with your brother, when you see the speck 
that's in your eye. He says, I want you to keep that in mind, right? Because he's saying, why do you see the speck in your brother, but you don't notice the log in your eye? He's saying, you need to see both of those things. And that's really important for how we do life together. Because the way that we separate from one another, the way community breaks down, is when we begin to say, you are the problem. I don't see my problems and shortcomings. But I say, you are the worst. <laughs> you are the one that's making things miserable around here. The problem is with you. Maybe you know pro people like that. All their problems are because of somebody else, that boss, that teacher. All their problems are because you know, their kids just won't do the right thing because their parents messed them up. It's always somebody else's fault. They can see the speck in everybody else, but they don't see the sin in their own life. And we can get focused on the sin of other people. And we can ignore our own sin. And when that happens, if I feel like I don't have sin and you do, and your sin is messing up my life, the logical conclusion is for me to get away from you. And then I don't have that problem anymore. That's the logical conclusion. If you're broken and messed up and I'm not, then I'm just going to separate from you so I don't have to deal with your mess. That's why the way we live in this community <laughs> is to see the extent of our own sin. Right? To see that I have a log in my eye, that all my sin together is much bigger than this speck that I'm seeing in your eye. Because many people will say, they will come to church and they will look around and they say, this place is dysfunctional. And they're right. They say, this place is dysfunctional. And then they leave. You know, the right view, the way we stay together, is to say, yes, this place is dysfunctional, because it is. But the dig in, going to say, this is how I contribute to the dysfunction. This is my part in the dysfunction. And if I go someplace else, then guess what? When I show up, that place will be dysfunctional too. Because I'll bring my dysfunction there. It happens in marriage. I see people get divorced, and the problem was that other spouse. And I always talk to them, I was like, listen, whatever your part was in the dissolution of the marriage, and there's always two sinners, there's always, you know, two people that are contributing to the breakdown, you have to know and own your part because you're going to take those things with you into the next marriage. And if you just act like it was all their fault and none of it was yours, you're going to see some of the same problems. We have that mindset in the church sometimes, don't we? We need to learn to say, listen, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to extend grace to, one, to other people in their dysfunction, and I'm going to receive the grace in my dysfunction, and we will work on our dysfunction together. We've got to own our strengths and our weaknesses in order to live with one another. What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses that you bring here to this community? It's important that we know what they are, that we can name them.
I'll go first. I'll tell you mine. I don't say no very well. I'm a people pleaser. I want them to like me, so I want to say yes all the time. And so I get too busy, and I neglect things that I should do. That's a weakness that I have. I want to help people. I love being involved with people. And in this moment, if I'm with you going through what you're going through, I am here in this moment with you, and I'm not thinking about anything else. That's good for a pastor to be like that. But if you ask me, where is this church going to be in five years, you know what I say? <laughs> in my head, maybe not out loud, I say, dude, I'm just trying to get through Sunday. <laughs> I really pushed myself hard, and we've planned out the semester. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to be in five years. And it's important for a pastor to think that way, too. And so I have to surround myself with people that have different strengths and weaknesses than what I have. And if there are people here who aren't thinking about the here and now and thinking about the future, and I just get tired of that because I don't like to think about that, and I run them off and say, get out of here, then this community will be less than what it could be if they were here. I would be less than I could be if they were not here. We need one another. We have to see to notice our own strengths and our own weaknesses and be honest about them in order for this community to work and for us to stay together. Jesus goes further than this, though. <laughs> Jesus says, that's great. You want to help one another in community. That's good. You, you need to extend grace and mercy. Use the same you know, standard with other people you won't use on you. You need to be aware of your own sin. He goes further, though. What does he say? He says, but first, you need to be dealing with your own sin before you try to help others deal with their sin look at it there in verses 4 and 5 Jesus says how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye you hypocrite first there's our but first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye Jesus has this extreme illustration here, right? He's saying, why are you trying to take the speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye? When you have a log, just think about that with me. To help you think about it, I brought a yardstick here. Falls far short of a log. But if you're listening to the podcast, I'm holding this yardstick on the side of my head. Like it's sticking out of my eye. Like it's a log. Now let's say I come and I'm going to help you take the speck out of your eye. Like, who wants me to help with that? Anybody? No. Because this yardstick would hit you before I could get anywhere close to your eye to take the speck out. If it was in my eye, I wouldn't even be able to see. I'd be poking around in your eye if I could even reach it. I'd be hitting you with the log that's coming out of my eye. That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, sometimes when we try to help one another with our sins and shortcomings, we end up hurting more than we end up helping. That if we're not 
onto ourselves, not just an awareness of our sin, but dealing with our sin. That we try to help other people. Like, I'm aware the log is there, but if I'm not dealing with the log, I can't really help you. In fact, I will hurt you more than I help you. Maybe you've had that experience, someone who says they're helping you doing more harm than good. When I first came to this church as a pastor back in 2009, I had never been a pastor before. And there were some people here who made it their mission to help me become a good pastor. And the way they did this is they would show up every Tuesday morning in my office or send me emails on Monday or Sunday to let me know all the things that I did wrong and needed to improve on. I remember one guy even gave me grades. If I did really well, I might get a B or a B plus. He's like, I'm a tough grader, he would say. And that was hard. I know they were trying to help me. I know they were trying to, to help me be better. But I just began to dread seeing those people. I tried to avoid them. I can remember I was walking with somebody through something difficult, and it was just really heavy. And one of those people was, I saw him drive up to the church, and I literally prayed, Lord, please, no, not now. I just can't handle that right now. Please, no. And after a while, as I got close enough to them to see the deficiencies in their own life, I became... I came to have a lot of angst about their being hypocritical. That, that they wanted to get onto me about this speck when they had a whole log out of their eye. And I, and, I, and I began to get bitter. And these folks, as well-meaning as they were, they, they did more harm than good. I became defensive as a pastor. I became tentative. I became afraid. I became bitter. And even when they were right in what they were saying, I had trouble hearing what they had to say. I actually went through an exercise in my mind that I would say, I'm going to imagine somebody who I know is for me and loves me, somebody like Mark Williams. I'm going to pretend like Mark Williams made this suggestion because I could hear it then. If I pretend like this came from me, I could be more objective about what I'm hearing. Because when it comes from these folks, I just can't, I, I just can't. They meant to help, but they did more harm than good. How different it was for me when there were men, and I, and, I, and I hesitate to name names, but I'll just tell you, men like, you know, Randy Thompson over at First Press Tuscumbia, Jim Beavis was big for me in this community, Randall Yelverton, I don't want to embarrass him, I know he's here this morning, but when men like that would come and would give me advice, I would seek them for advice, and, and I can remember Randall saying things in particular. He would say, well, I can tell you what not to do, because I've made all the mistakes you can make. And we would talk with each other, and that would be kind of the way the conversation would start. Or he may say to me, well, you know, Diane's dad, who's also a pastor, one time he told me this. And that was so helpful for me. It was so good for my soul. And as I've reflected on what Jesus is saying in my own experience, I have come to this conclusion. The best helpers are those who remember and admit that they themselves have needed and have received 
help. I think that's true. The best helpers are the ones who remember and admit that they themselves have needed and received help. It's a biblical concept. Our benediction this morning is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, where it talks about God comforting us. And that that enables us to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. The best helpers are those who remember and admit that they themselves have needed and received help. Coming into this community means you must be aware of your own sin. And it means you've got to see your sin as bigger than other people's sin. But it also means that you are committed to working on yourself before you can help others because you don't want to do more harm instead of helping. Our vows reflect that. We had our new members class today at 9. We'll have another one at 5.30. If you want to come, let me know. I'd love to have you join us. And the vows you have to take to join our church are, first, I admit that I'm a sinner, right? So we're admitting that we're sinful. We look to Jesus for salvation. The number three is I endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ. I endeavor to have the Holy Spirit help me grow in the faith, to work on myself. And then vow number four is I agree to support the church in its worship and work. Because that's the order that it goes in. That's what Jesus sets out for us here. Great. I'm glad the vows of your church are so great, Scott. Thank you. We're so glad to hear that. So what? What difference does that make in our lives? Let me mention just a couple of things, and, and I'll stop. Let me talk to those of you who have a speck in your eye. You, you, you admit that you, there, you have sin and shortcomings, but maybe you are afraid to come into community because you have been hurt by people who don't see their own sin, they're not working on their own sin, and so you've been hurt by them when they said that they were trying to help you. Maybe they were judgmental. Maybe they used God talk, which makes it even worse. Maybe they were even a pastor or somebody in leadership at a church, and they acted like they had it all together. They acted as if they've never needed grace or mercy or patience. And now you are hesitant to come into community because that's your experience. <laughs> Listen, I get it. <laughs> I've been there. Church people can be some of the worst. And I bear the marks on my body to prove it. I want you to hear very clearly that what you have experienced is not the plan that Jesus has for the community of his followers. That's not his plan. The plan that you've heard today, being aware of our own sin, being patient, using the same standard for others as we would have on ourselves, seeing my sin is bigger, working on my own sin before I try to help you, that is Jesus' plan for life in this community. And I want you to know, that Redeemer Church is a group of broken and messed up people who will sin against you. But we're also a group of people who have taken those vows that I just mentioned. And we graciously, mercifully, 
patiently hold one another accountable to those vows that we take. And if you come and join this community, then we will graciously, mercifully, patiently hold you accountable to those things as well. And in the past, we've seen people come here and experience the healing in this community that only Jesus can bring. So I call you to find the right kind of community and to join it. And as you think about that, I want you to consider one thing. We all talk about the breakdown of community and how bad it is. But I want you to think, every time you pull out of community, you are one more reason why community breaks down. When you refuse to join a community because of your experience, you are one more reason why community is less than what it should be. So I call you, find the right community and join with all the glories and the burdens. I also want to talk to those of us who have a log in our eye. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, how are you going to talk to them? Because nobody thinks they have a log in their eye. Everybody thinks they're the spec guy, right? Nobody thinks they're the ones that ever hurt anybody. These are the people who want to help. They've got all the answers. They're the ones that show up and say, you know what this church needs? You know what this community group needs? It's their third time, and they've already figured it all out, right? So let me go at it like this. If during this sermon all this talk of grace and mercy and patience and fear of community that I've been talking about, if you see that as weakness, is, if you've heard me talk about those things and you're just thinking, well, these, these are just wimpy people that need to get their big boy panties on and, and, and you know, get with the program, then I'm, I'm talking to you now. And you have this desire to help other people because you can see how they fall short. Boy, you see the speck. You can see how their life would be better. And you may be right. The issue is how you do it. Maybe you desire to help people because you see how they can prove. But if you're honest, you don't really have any close friends. Maybe people avoid you. Maybe because you have a log coming out of your own eye. You admit that you're sinful, but you're not working on that log. I want you to know that Jesus does not condemn you. He doesn't critique you and move on. He doesn't cast you out of community. The assumption Jesus has is that there will be people like that in the church. So spec folks, remember that. <laughs> Jesus says these people are going to be there. And if you're convicted about this, you've seen these things as weaknesses. There's not anybody close to you that you can help. Jesus provides a way forward for you here. There's grace. There's mercy for you. He's been so patient with you in this attitude. 
And he calls you in the community too. And he calls you to remember the grace and mercy you've received from him and extend that to other people. He calls you to remember that the best helpers are those who remember and admit that they themselves have needed and have received help. Try remembering and talking about the times you've needed help and someone has given help to you. Try doing that for a while. Look for ways you may need help now. What sin are you struggling with now? Who can you get to help you now? Then you may be in a position to help somebody else. Jesus says, that's great, you want to help others, <laughs> but first, in this community, we work on ourselves first before we start working on one another. We've got to see our own sin. We've got to help others. Then we're in a place to help others without harming them. I want you to consider, if you've been convicted by the, the, the log application, Consider that when you stay in community without first working on yourself, without first seeing your sin, without first getting the help of others, you may be doing more harm than good. And that also breaks down community for all of us. <laughs> Jesus envisions a community of people who are all different, with different gifts, with different strengths, and with different weaknesses, with different sins, with different struggles, with different annoyances. And in this community that Jesus calls to us to live in, I want you to know that our sins can be known and acknowledged and it is possible that we can receive great patience and understanding and help from a community that leads to our healing. That is possible. That is what Jesus calls us to. That's what we endeavor to be here in this place. That's the vision that Jesus has for his community of followers. And that's the vision Jesus has for his community because that's what Jesus himself is like. Come to him. Find a community of those following him and are becoming more like him and join them. And let's do life together. Let me pray and ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are hard words. We are all for community until that person begins to annoy us. Father, we confess we can't do this. The only way that this happens in this community is if you come by your spirit and you do some work convicting us of sin, showing us the extent of sin, reminding us of the grace and mercy that we ourselves have received so that we can extend grace and mercy to one another. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would do that work in this place. I confess no preacher can lead a church to do this. No leadership team can lead well enough to make this happen. The only way this happens, Father, is if you come by your Spirit and you do the work that only you can do, growing the fruit of your Spirit in your people. So we ask, we beg, 
We plead for a community like that in this place. Please come and do that. Do it for your own glory. And do it for all of our good so that this might be a place that we find healing. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.